0: If you have your Bible this morning, we're going to turn to God's Word. Again, I love this house, my favorite church in Texas. If I lived in Texas, I would go to church 1132. So good to see all my friends and fam. I love Pastor Kim and Spence and saw Micah and, and Bianca, who we call Queen B. Come on, somebody. Pastor Keon, I love you guys. But love this house and uh, been able to come here since the beginning, really, of uh, uh, Pastor Dustin's leadership. And I'm so proud of the way that this church is has, has moved, has built, and has grown. And, uh, you know, some people strive for growth, but what I've seen over and over again with Pastor Dustin and Jamie being so integrous is they've always desired to be healthy. And I believe that the growth of this church is a byproduct of the health that's in their marriage, that's in their family, that's in the staff of this church, that's in the, uh, come on, core families of this church. That echoes. Come on, all the way from the front row to the back row. If you believe it, come on, say amen to that. Give, give your pastors one more hand clap this morning. And uh, yeah, we're gonna have a great time this morning. God has given me just a really a, a, a word. I've, I I couldn't shake it, and uh, I'm, I'm excited to share it with you today. If you're new to church, uh, you want to know what, what kind of what, what you're getting yourself into. Uh, Acts chapter twenty six. I'm gonna turn to today. I'm gonna read seven verses. Uh, After I share these seven verses, everything I teach on for the next 30 minutes will be connected to these seven verses. Uh, I try to incorporate a couple stories. Uh, If you laugh at them, we call them jokes. Is that all right? If you don't laugh, we call it a bad crowd. And uh, I think it's good to laugh sometimes. The Bible says laughter does good like, who wants to take some meds this morning? Come on. Can we all agree that medicine companies don't know what, come on, fruit tastes like? Let's agree on that right out of the gate. And uh, we are going to read some verses, and uh, we're going to have a good time. It is quarantine season in California, so they might be inside jokes. Is that all right? <laughs> we're online. Just, I'm just loving being in front of you guys. We were online for 11 weeks, and uh, we got complaints about the drums being too loud still. But uh, we are back, and I'm excited to be back. And uh, there is a baby boom they're saying in 2020 that's going to happen. Uh, they say nine months from the beginning of quarantine, there's going to be a baby boom. And they're saying in 20, uh, 2033, 13 years from now, there's going to be the rise of the quarantines. <laughs> Did you guys hear about that? All right, you're awake. All right, just making sure you get that second service. Um, Acts chapter 26, if you're there, say, I'm there. I do want to talk to you. We are obviously in a weird uh, window of time. This has been a crazy year, and uh, a lot of highs and lows, mostly lows, it seems like. But I got good news that our God is still on the throne. I want you to know that 2020 did not catch Jesus off guard. He didn't look at the Father and say, what is going on? What's happening? You know that God has never said this phrase? It just occurred to me. He's never said this before. I just thought of something. Do you know that he's never had a new thought he knows everything from the beginning and uh this year has not caught him off guard and uh been able to catch up on your uh your messages i, I actually watched last week pastor benny perez great message i listened to pastor robert madu the week before that so good and then i've been uh, actually got to check out pastor dustin's uh series that he was sharing with you guys uh out of chronicles which was so good about healing our land how many love that series as well so I've uh, been following what, what's going on in this house and uh, got some good food in this church. If you believe it, say amen. amen. I heard an atheist one time write and say, I don't, know why I, go to, I don't know why people go to church. You don't remember what you heard. I don't remember the message last week. I don't remember the message I listened to two weeks ago. I think it's ridiculous that people waste their times going to church. And a uh, Christian writer for the same uh, magazine actually responded the following week, did an article to rebuttal the uh, atheist article and he said I don't know why I eat food he says I don't remember what I ate for breakfast yesterday I don't remember what I ate for lunch three days ago I don't remember dinner two weeks ago I don't know why I eat and I love the idea that whether you remember everything or not this is a place that your spirit gets fed do you believe that and so uh, it's okay to say amen if it gets good in here today you're not going to offend me. Pastor Dustin said that I, I got until uh, 1245 this service. <laughs> I want to honor that time. And so uh, Acts 26, let's begin reading. And let me just, I got to set this up, I guess, a little bit. Is uh, God, I want to talk to you this morning on the power of the promises of God. The promises of God. Say it with me, promises of God. Pastor Dustin said something in a series a couple weeks ago, it, it rung true inside of me as God was speaking to me about this, but he talked about how we pray the promises until they materialize. And I'm going to talk a little bit about that today, but I want to talk to you today. My, my, my subject matter is the promises of God. And I want to talk to you today about standing on it, standing on it, tap your neighbor. Don't actually look at your neighbor. Come on. Say standing on it. I'm learning how to quarantine preach. It's, it's a, it's a new art. Um, Standing on it. And uh, let's, uh, we're going to read this passage here in Acts 26. And essentially, what we're reading here is Paul is, uh, it really, one of, some would say, the most important speech he's ever going to give in his entire life. This guy wrote two thirds of the New Testament, brilliant theologian, probably the greatest theologian to ever live. And he's standing in front of Agrippa, and Agrippa was basically the appointed ruler. He was the curator of religion and the overseer of the entire region. And Agrippa was basically the latest king in the Herod dynasty. His great grandfather was the one that attempted to kill Jesus and slaughtered babies in Bethlehem, his great uncle was the one that took off the head of John the Baptist. His father was the one that actually killed James in prison, arresting Peter with the same intention before the angel delivered Peter from from jail. And so his family has this history of murdering anyone pretty much connected or associated with Jesus or his followers. And so he's standing before this great ruler, and he knows that his life is literally uh, in a very fragile situation situation. And he stands there, and basically uh, what we're going to read here is what he submits in this most critical hour of his life. How many feel like 2020 has been a critical year? Businesses critically impacted, families critically impacted, suicide rates up 600%. 600%. Domestic abuse, child abuse, some of the, some of the darkest things that we do not want to visit in our minds are happening in this critical year. And what we see here is Paul is in the most critical window of his life, standing in front of a life or death moment. And I love what he does here. Watch what happens. He says this, then Agrippa said to Paul, uh, you are permitted to speak for yourself. All right. Most important speech of his life. Watch what what Paul does here. Paul stretched out his hand and he answered for for himself. He says, I think myself happy, King Agrippa, because today I'll be able to answer for myself myself before you concerning all the things of which I am being accused by the Jews. The Jews were accusing him of starting a false new religion. And he says this, um, but especially I'm excited because you are an expert in all customs and questions which have to do with the Jews. Therefore, I'm begging you to listen to me patiently. Here's where we go. My manner of life since I was a little kid which was spent from the very beginning among my own nation at Jerusalem, all the Jews know about. They knew me at first, if they were willing to testify that according to the very strictest religious sector of our religion, I lived as a Pharisee. Verse six is what I want to focus on. But now today, here's what he does. This moment of, His moment of saying whatever he wants to say to defend himself. He says, but now I stand here Today, and I'm being judged, that's what he says, for the hope, say it with me, hope. For the hope of the promise made by God to our fathers. To this promise are 12 tribes, earnestly serving God night and day, hope to attain. And he says this, and for hope's sake, King Agrippa, I am accused by the Jews I believe that God gives us promises so that we can have hope in hopeless moments. We're going to pray today. We're going to have a good time if you believe it. Come on, one more time. Say amen. Amen. Father, I just thank you for your word. I thank you that it's alive, that it's powerful, that it's active. I thank you that it is sharper than any two-edged sword. I pray today, Lord, that in a time that we need to hear from you, in a time, Lord, that we need to have courage and faith and hope, I ask you, Lord, today that you would infuse it into this church. God, we thank you so much for a community of faith that honors you, that believes you at your word, that's not preaching a little G gospel, but a big G gospel. Father, today, would you invade this room? Would you heal the sick? Would you, would you, would you touch those that need a touch from heaven? God, would you save people that don't know you? And I pray we'd have a powerful time. Thank you, Lord, for the Mavs' victory last night. In Jesus' name. Come if you believe it, say amen. 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 What a year. I've been thinking about uh, really how technology has changed the world. Can we all agree on that? Yeah. Technology has changed the world. I, I, for instance, my, my, I'm, I'm really concerned about younger people these days. A lot of things that young people have no idea about. Like they don't know what paper is. <laughs> younger people, I'm sad because they don't know the joy and the adrenaline rush of actually having to stand up sprint to the restroom, throw the popcorn in the microwave, and hurdle over the couch before the show comes back on the TV. They, do know, they know nothing about commercials. Can I get an amen? They do not know about the commercial sprints. They don't know what it's like to go outside. Kids haven't played in the yard since 1992, come on. And I'm, I'm concerned, I'm genuinely concerned. I'm like, I spend most of my life parenting trying to get my kids outside. Like you don't learn how to go outside. Don't be inside. Go outside. And uh, so, uh, you know, I, I was thinking about this, but uh, there's things that we learned as older people going outside, playing outside, that I'm like, I don't even know if my kids know. Like, I, when you're outside, you occasionally, I'm going to keep it clean in church, but occasionally you, you could step in a, let's call it an animal offering. <laughs> Are you following me? I am worried that the younger generation, they do not, because they don't go outside, they don't even know how to remove that from your shoe. Now, the older generation, I want you to, come on, write this in your notes. The older generation knows there is a four-step process to cleaning your shoes off when you step in something you don't want to step in. The four-step process, very, very simple here, is the first step everyone knows, say it with me, curb, come on. When you are cleaning your shoe, from something you stepped in that you do not want to step in, something smelly. I'm going somewhere. Don't, don't get offended. You use the curb, right? We know this. Curb is the first step. And then you want to find some like little puddle or body of water. Come on, to do the little like, come on. And then after you do that, you find grass or turf. Come on. Just not the turf of the church because it doesn't, come on, you, you know what I'm talking about. You find some sort of grass and you start doing this. And if you're OCD, you will find a small stick. I don't know if you've ever stepped in something and you're like, ah, oh, just, isn't it amazing? It's like a haircut almost, like a good haircut could make your day or a bad one could ruin your month. When you step in something, you ever been there before? Ah, oh, what is that smell? Like you're annoyed immediately and you realize, I, I stepped, I stepped in something. And I felt like this year, if I'm being honest, uh, I think just even the political landscape, the economic landscape, the racial landscape, it's almost like this whole year it's like you wake up every morning and it's like, who's fighting on the internet today? You felt like that? Like It's like you go to families or get-togethers, you're like, hey, are we going to talk about what's happening in the world or are we going to have a good time? <laughs> and, and it's like there's so many just stinky things that are going on Just that, 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 that if we're not careful, we step into or we turn on the news or we open up the newspaper. People still read those. <sighs> And we, we open up apps on our phone or we see what's happening. And again, I'm not in any way negating the fact that there are things that need to change, that will change, that God is changing. Can I get an amen? But I was just thinking, man, how many times do we let what, what society or what our politicians or what the news is feeding us to determine the smell of our life? You ever woke up and you're like, man, I, I felt fine until I read the news. And now I just, I just smelled this, ah, it just stinks. I'm, Irritated, discouraged, I'm hopeless. I'm I don't know why, I just feel like I'm stepping in something I do not want to step in. And I had this picture, and forgive me because God speaks to me in a little bit unorthodox ways, but I had this picture of like, you know, we had the choice to stand on solid ground or to let our circumstances determine our attitude. And I want you to know that we do not stand on, on on just flimsy, stinky surfaces. But as children of God, we have the opportunity to to stand on the promises of God. I want you to know that God's promises are powerful today. Come on, can I get an amen? God's promises basically are the cure for every problem that this life presents itself to us. So you see, God's promises, there's 7,487 in the Bible. Did you know that? This is a book of promises. And I love the fact that when Paul is in the most, arguably most important conversation of his life, we do not see him in any way standing up, appealing for mercy, calling for a miracle, presenting his resume. Did you know what I've done with God? Do you know how powerful I am? He doesn't say, I am a Roman citizen. In the most important speech of Paul's life, he says, I believe in the promises of God. I'm here today because the promises of God. What I I stand on in a critical moment of my life is what my forefathers stood on, the promises of God. God is a promise-making and a promise-keeping God. And I love this because he doesn't appeal for mercy, he doesn't call for a miracle. He says, I'm standing here. I'm not talking about my accomplishments. I'm not asking for special treatment. I'm not trying to justify my actions. I'm saying this today. I'm here before you standing on the promises of God. I believe that this is the hour that the church has to not be weak, not faint-hearted, but strong in the promises of God. What we know is that the promises of God actually lead us into a new environment, a holy atmosphere. Write this down. God's promises replace what I do not know about the future with what I do know about God. That's a good spot for an amen right now. If I get Pentecostal amen, I'll take a Baptist head nod. You can give me a Presbyterian eyebrow raise or a Latter-day Saint deep breath. Come on, give me something. (laughs) The promises of God, they actually fill the gaps of what I don't know about tomorrow with what yesterday tells me about God. Do you know there's more that we don't know than we do know? And if you don't say amen to that, you got a pride issue. The Bible gives us 66 books by 42 authors written over 1,700 years with no contradictions in three languages. Started being written on lonely, uh, a lonely Arabia and was finished on the lonely island of Patmos by John. Listen, this book tells us tons about God, but there's still more that we don't know about God than we do know. Have you thought about that? Some of the smartest scientists in the world say there is still far more that we do not know about creation. There is still far more we do not know about our earth, about the weather systems. There's still more that we do not know than we do know. So what do you do when you face ambiguity? What do you do when you you go into a cloudy season, when you're in a foggy marine layer? Come on, come on, Orange County. What do you do when you're in foggy seasons of life? Write this down. You always let what you do know about God to shape your attitude about what you do not know about the future. This is what the promises of God are all about. Why would God give us 7,487 promises? He knew there would be days and seasons and times that we are discouraged, that our circumstances stink and the political landscape doesn't smell very encouraging, and the racial landscape is disturbing, and there's things going on in the world that aren't right, and they're evil, and they're malicious, and they're sinful. What do you do in uncertain, foggy seasons of life is you stand on what God has said. That's what we do. I believe in the promises of God. That's what Paul said. I believe. I'm standing here today because I believe in the promises of God but he's not alone. Abraham believed in the promises of God, right? Noah believed in the promises of God. Noah believed in in, in God so much that he actually built a boat before rain was in the vocabulary. Never even seen rain before, but he believed God. Abraham packed up his U-Haul. The driver said, where am I taking this? He says, I don't know. I'll know it when I see it. He believed in the promises of God. Joshua led two million people to a to an enemy-infected territory because of God's promise. He didn't take land. He took God at his word. Peter walks on water. Come on. Matthew chapter 14. He's not stepping on water. He's standing on a word. Come. He was standing on a promise. Come. There is something about God's word that enables us to do what we cannot do without him. You see, God is a promise-making. God God is a promise-keeping. Genesis chapter 1, nine times, God said, and whatever God said, there was always a reaction to it. God is a God that speaks and makes things happen. You know what faith is? Faith is a deep conviction that God will keep his promises. Write it down. Faith is a deep conviction that God will keep his promises. Many times we we live lives with the uncertainties of, well, what are they saying today? Is it going to be a good day? Is it going to be a bad day? What's the news saying? Is it good or is it bad? I know the news. It hasn't changed. We serve a God that his word still stands. Some would mock. Some would say, well, Mark, God isn't really, where's God at in this season? I'm going to talk about that in just a moment. But the promise is, I want you to write this down, that a promise is only as reliable as the person that makes it. You ever have someone like, oh, I promise I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pay you back? It's like, no, you're not. Just ask for money. Stop, stop saying I'm borrowing. Who remembers that guy that never had a wallet growing up? Will you spot me? It's like, I've been spotting you your whole life. You should be a bodybuilder right now, how much I've been spotting you. You're that friend in school that was always like, come on, give me a dollar. I need to buy a burrito. It's like, dude, you ain't borrowing. You, you want a dollar. Ask for a dollar. Don't borrow it. You see, a promise is only as reliable as the person that makes it. And I want to remind you that God is a God that can be taken seriously because of a couple reasons. Number one, he's unchanging. And here's the good news. God doesn't have to change. Uh, He doesn't change. So when he says something, he means it. You know why God is unchanging? Because to change would insinuate there is room for improvement. God can't get any better than he currently is. The Bible says in James chapter one, it says in verse 17 that he never changes. Do you know that we serve a God that doesn't change? Come on, who's glad for that? Who's glad that he doesn't change his mind? Like, oh, I think I like Allen Texas. Nah, God doesn't change. Not only is he a God that can be trusted because it is unchanging. How about this? Pastor Cam said it, he's faithful. Says that even when we're faithless, he remains faithful. Hebrews ten twenty three says, God can be trusted. To keep his promises. He's faithful. How about this? He's not just faithful. He's strong. How do you know he's strong? Because Romans 4.21 says that God is able to do whatever he promises. People are like, Mark, that's impossible. That's an incurable disease. Well, just because it's incurable with men doesn't mean that we're incurable with God. God wants bananas to grow from telephone poles. Come on, somebody. Get ready to start picking some bananas. God can do what no one else can do. God has power and strength to fulfill his promises. He opens up barren wombs. He heals incurable diseases. He reaches unreachable people groups. He chases down prodigal sons. He knows the locations of the one wandering sheep. He knows where to find that one lost coin. We serve a God that is able to finish what he starts He's strong. And about this, God cannot lie. You thought about this? It is impossible for God to lie. Hebrews 6.18. Why do men lie? Men lie usually because they're trying to make themselves look better than they actually are. Oh, I have a Corvette at home. No, you don't. Come on, you ain't got us to lie to kick it. Come on. I'm telling you, many people, they lie because they're trying to make themselves look better. God cannot look better than he already is. Humans, they lie because they're trying to say something that they're hoping that maybe one day could be true. God has not ever said anything that he did not have the power to fulfill immediately. God is a God that, listen, he's unchanging, he's faithful, he's strong, and he cannot lie. Here's the question. The question is not, will God keep his promises? Here's the question in 2020. Will you build your life on them? God is a promise-making, promise-keeping, reliable promise-maker. So the question is not, will God keep his promises? The question is, will you build your life on him? Will you stake your faith on him? In a world that's saying, it's getting worse, it's falling apart, things aren't going to be the same, new normal, right? I'm like, no, God is still faithful. God is a God that's going to get us out of this season. I think it's arrogant for our generation. I think this is the worst thing that's ever happened to the world. Read the history books. We've been through worse, and we've made it out of it. Can I get an amen? Amen. I bet people in, come on, in Germany during World War II would have said, you know, you guys, there's been worse circumstances. People during the, the plague in the early 1900s would say, you know, there's been worse circumstances. And even though it's the worst thing that you or I have seen maybe, it doesn't mean it's the worst thing that's ever happened. And if previous generations were led by God out of storms, you mark my words, this too shall, anybody believe it? I want to believe the Bible more than I believe CNN. I want to believe God more than I believe Fox News. Anderson Cooper and Tucker Carlson do not know more than Jesus. And so I stand here today saying that we stand a, and we serve a God that offers promises. Psalms twenty four fourteen says, Friendship with God is reserved for those that revere him, for with him alone he shares the secrets of his promises. God is a God that gives secrets to his promises. Every problem in life, God has provided a promise. Nothing lifts a weary soul like the promises of God. Circumstances of life versus the promises of God. Which one are you standing on? I'm not standing on, well, I'm fearful, I'm anxious, I'm worried. I'm not going to worry about what I cannot control. I'm going to focus on the promises of God that God can control. I'm telling you, I don't know how much time I have or don't have. That's up to God. I I heard one scholar say it this way. We don't choose what we go through, but we certainly choose how we go through it. You choose the attitude of your life. You choose what what report you're going to believe. I want to be like Caleb. I want to have a different type of spirit. When everybody else is saying they're too big, these giants are too strong, this land is too fortified, Caleb's like, Nah, we got it. God's got it. God said that Caleb had a different type of spirit. Daniel influenced four kings. Daniel, his entire ministry, 70 plus years, was under the tyranny of, of, he was literally in exile his entire ministry. His ministry existed in quarantine. He served four pagan kings, one of which was Nebuchadnezzar. And this guy, regardless of speaking, he spoke the language, he knew the, he knew the literature, he knew how to read it, he knew how to write it. And even though he was in a foreign pagan world, he still held on to the promises of the eternal kingdom of God in his heart. He's, we're not victims of the world that we are living in. We choose the attitude of our insides. We choose who we call on. We choose who we cry out to. We choose whose report we believe. I want to be a man. Are you hearing me today? That says like like Peter. Peter says this in 2 Peter 1.4. He says, he says that the promises of God are not just great. He says they are very great. He says they're not just valuable. He says they are precious. The promises of God, by them, he says this, that we participate in the divine nature of God. How do we become like Jesus? It is but by the promises of God. I'm concerned about a world that's preaching grace, but not not preaching a grace that leads us to godliness. You see, the real grace of Jesus doesn't just make us grateful, it makes us godly. The promises of God actually start to to alter the configurations of our fabric, of our personalities, and our, our viewpoints, and our worldview, and our, are you hearing me today? I don't want my politics determining my theology. I want my theology to determine my politics. I'm telling you today, I'm almost finished up, is that God gives us promises. And his promises lead us out of the toxic swampland and into the clean air of heaven. Promises, promises like this, that in famine, God promised that I can be fruitful. Promises like in in a season of sickness, God is still a God that can heal. Promises like I've been heartbroken, but God is the God that restores the brokenhearted. People that go, man, all things, all, all things God can bend for my good when I'm going through uncertainty. God can put me back together again. So what do you do with the promises of God? I want to give you four things that you can take away today. Promises of God, I believe, are available to everyone that's listening today. And here's what my, my conviction is. Is God's promises are to be, number one, pondered. I love it when it says Mary, after she heard the shepherds running in from the field, saying glory from God in the highest and on earth, peace towards men, goodwill towards men. When these shepherds basically prophesied that the baby being born was going to save the world, it says this in Luke chapter 2, verse 19. Mary pondered these promises in her heart. I love it says in Joshua chapter 1 verse 8 that if you would ponder, if you would meditate on God's promises day and night, he says that you will become successful. If you're too busy to ponder the promises of God, you're too busy to be successful. I don't want to be a person that's so busy doing important things that I do not value the important one. I want to, I want to ponder the promises. Psalms chapter 1 verse 2, He shall be like a tree meditating right day and night I'll be like a tree there's something about pondering I love what pastor said a few weeks ago he says that what you think about or what you focus on will determine the direction you go in do you know why I want to meditate on the promises of God day and night because I will take on the flavor of what I meditate on eastern religion meditation is about emptying your brain christian meditation is about filling your brain with God's promises We are a people that ponder the promises of God. Number two, I'm not going to just ponder them. I'm going to begin to proclaim them. We have Christians that know verses, but they don't proclaim verses. I want you to know the promises of God are not just verbally, or excuse me, silently chewed on. We take it further than silently chewing on it. We begin to pray them into our reality. God, I want a house. I'm believing for a home in Orange County. I've been taking my two little girls to a house that's twice as expensive as we can afford. But I saw the house before I moved. I saw it in a vision. I knew that was the house that God wanted to give us. It was exactly like our Idaho house. And so even though I don't have the money for this house, I want to teach my kids how to believe God. So we go to this house, it's, it's brand new house being built. We go there about once or twice a week and we walk through the frames of the house. We walk through the house when it's being sheetrocked, and we say, God, this is outside of our reach, but it's not outside of your reach. I have learned. Listen, I'm not just talking about material things. I'm talking about every area of your life. Will you declare the promises of God that are according to Corinthians? Yes and amen. I believe in a God that, come on, as we stand. Romans ten seventeen. Faith comes by... Do you know how fear comes? By hearing. Do you know that faith and fear are pretty much the same thing, just going opposite directions? Faith is, uh, fear is faith in the inferior. That's what fear is. Because faith and fear have this in common. They are both projecting what could be in the future. What is the difference between faith and fear? You are projecting, you are a weather, come on, forecaster. I think tomorrow is going to be... You're projecting into the future. Do you know the only difference between faith and fear is one is an intentional declaration built on promises and the other is the human default I'm just a realist no you're just not spiritually minded do you know all of us are negative by nature do you know that all of us listen if your theology requires zero faith question your faith because that, that's my problem with dispensationalism well God doesn't do miracles anymore God's powers my pastor said that God doesn't heal anymore yeah your pastor got exactly what he was believing for That's why there was no miracles in that church because God honored his theology. You see, the Jesus you preach is the Jesus you get. You preach a God that can heal, he'll show up and heal. You preach a God that can deliver from alcoholism and pornography and substance abuse and dropping pills and addicted to popularity. You preach a God that can deliver from little things and you'll see little things. But you preach a Jesus that can do the impossible and you'll see a God show up that does the... Come on, give a real hand clap if you believe it. I know I'm not saying popular stuff right now, but I would rather build on the ancient truth of God's word than tickle some ears and say, well, maybe God will get us to heaven one day. We serve a God that gave promises, and we are going to be a people at 1132 that stand on the promises. God hasn't changed his mind. This quarantine hasn't affected his attitude. He's still the same. I'm telling you today that we are going to proclaim because faith comes by... That's why you got to pray with your babies at night. Speak over your kids. We pray covering over our kids, but I'm not just praying that God would keep my kids safe. I'm praying that God would make our family dangerous. God, give us a faith to believe. When everybody else is bowing to the world, and everybody else is bowing to sickness, and everyone else is bowing to the darkness in our world, I will stand. Faith is not saying that bad things won't happen to good people. Faith is when you're like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that say, Our God can deliver us, but even if He doesn't, still not going to bow. I'm in Cali- you, listen, you preach this kind of stuff in California, you'll find out how strong your faith is. People say, Mark, California, God's working in Texas, but man, God's giving up on California. I'm telling you that I believe that where the darkness is the strongest. The light shines the brightest. And that's why we're seeing a revival right now in a parking lot with tents because God is looking for people that don't just ponder his promises but boldly proclaim the promises of God which are yes and... I want to encourage you to pray the promises. Pray them out loud. Luke 11, verse 2, he says, When you pray, say. When you pray... Internal prayers are meditation. It's not prayer until you verbalize it. When you pray, say, our Father in heaven, we're going to be a people that don't just ponder the promises, but proclaim them by praying them. And finally, before I'm finished, is I want, to, I want to remind you that we are not only going to ponder and proclaim and pray, we are going to persist in the promises of God. It says this, that Abraham, after Abraham patiently endured, he obtained the promise. Hebrews 6.15. Galatians 6.9 says, do not grow weary in well-doing, for in due time you will reap if you don't lose heart. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 says there's 28 seasons in life, and the only season you will not find in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 is a season to give up. A season to quit believing, a season to quit trusting God. You will not find that season in the Bible. Many people say, "Mark, well, how do you know you can't see God?" Kind of reminds me of this uh, story I read about two babies, and I close with this: There was two babies having a philosophical conversation inside of their mother's womb. First baby said to the second baby, "Do you believe in life after delivery?" And the other baby said, of course, there has to be something after delivery. Maybe we're here to prepare ourselves for what's to come. Nonsense, says the first baby. There's no life after delivery. What would it even be like? And the second baby says, well, probably more light than in here. Maybe we'll walk with our legs and maybe we'll eat with our mouths. Maybe we'll have other senses that we can't understand right now. That's absurd. That's absurd says baby, number one, number two. He says, walking is impossible. Eating with your mouth, ridiculous. That's what the umbilical cord supplies. It gives us nutrition and all that we need. But it is short. So life after delivery is to be logically excluded. But the other baby, he says, I don't know, says the other. But certainly, at least we know this, that we'll be with mother and she's going to take care of us mother you actually believe in mother that's laughable if she exists where is she right now and the other baby says uh she's all around us we're surrounded by her we are of her and it's in her that we live without her this world would not and could not exist the skeptical baby says, Well, I don't see her, so it's only logical that she doesn't exist. The other baby said, I look, I, I don't know. I, I just know that sometimes when you're quiet enough and you focus and you really listen, you can perceive her presence and you can hear her loving voice calling down from above. Many people have a limited experience like these babies. Because they have no idea that there's more in God. I want to remind you today that we believe in the God that we can't visibly see. Who surrounds us even right now. And gives us promises to stand on not only in this season. But in the life that's to come.